Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hi, I hope you're having a great day. I wanted to share this week's creative check-in before we get to our guest. One thing I've realized in the past week is how triggered some people can be by pursuing your creativity. We're all mirrors for each other, and sometimes I think when you choose to go toward your dream, it can make those who have stifled their own dreams react in less than kind ways. So if you're on the receiving end of that judgment or discouragement from someone, you have to consider the source. Are they somebody who's closed off a part of themselves in order for security? Instead of reacting with anger or hurt toward that person, consider compassion. They're probably in a lot of pain and denying themselves in some way and seeing you do what you're doing makes them feel badly about who they are and what they do. Also ask yourself, is what they're saying even true? Because most of the time what I've found is there isn't any real factual basis for what they purport. They're just speaking emotionally. And so sometimes a little check-in of, is it true? Really helps. Also, as evolved as we might want to be, there are going to be times when we'll react with jealousy or anger at someone doing what we want to do. So in that situation, instead of projecting your shit onto someone else, let your unsettling feelings be your guide. Someone else's success isn't your failure. If you're envious of someone or something, it's your gut trying to put you in that direction. And I once heard a great coach named Karen Rockine say, I'll have what they're having. So do your best to resonate on genuine happiness for the other person's creative success and start cultivating your own. Turn envy into inspiration. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to our amazing community member at Julia Star or Julia Star, if you don't want to talk in Instagram handles. <laughs> After our episode with Gala, she was inspired to embroider her name on a jean jacket. And it's so cool. It's like all these red and oranges and there's these fiery looking colors around it. And within minutes of posting what she did on social media, Julia had a friend reach out and offer to pay her for an embroidery of her name. So sharing your creativity pays off. It literally pays off because now she's making money for what she loves to do. I am so proud of you, Julia. You go, girl. You're amazing. Everybody give her a follow at Julia Star and check out her amazing work. And please continue to send me your creative check-ins and your work so that I can feature you here. We're all here to support each other and lift each other up and be inspired by each other. Now let's get to our guest. Rachel D'Alto is a coach, media personality, keynote speaker, and hypnotherapist, best known for being a relationship expert on Lifetime's hit show, Married at First Sight. 
Rachel started her career in advertising, but needed a challenge, so she decided to go after her law degree. After a while of practicing law, she started a dating company. That really quickly took off and afforded her opportunities to appear on television as a relationship expert. She's been featured on a multitude of media outlets, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, and Access Hollywood Live. She's also given three, count them, three TEDx talks, one on being authentic in a filtered world, one on the power of kindness, and the last on killing fear. One of the things that, that you have to do when you're, you're dealing with a fear is force yourself through it. Realizing that the feeling that you'll get from regret of not doing something is far worse than failing at something. And I don't believe in failure. And I think that's part of it too, is, is really kind of changing your perspective around what is failure? To me, failure is not something bad. Failure is a learning experience. I wanted to share her with you to show you that you can have many lives within your one lifetime. Just because you start out your career doing one thing doesn't mean you can't reinvent yourself and reinvent yourself and reinvent yourself. Life is truly limitless, and Rachel's a really good representation of that. Through this conversation, you'll learn how to access the creative power of vulnerability, the importance of redefining failure, and why she says you don't need a backup plan. Now let's get to it. Here's Rachel D'Alto. I really appreciate how vulnerable you are. I think Aww. that in and of itself is creative. And I, I don't think you can be creative without being vulnerable. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And I want to start by asking you what you think makes someone creative. Ooh, what makes someone creative? I think it's the bravery to share ideas. I think that's really what it comes down to is being brave enough. Because I think everybody's creative. I think everybody has ideas. Everybody has thoughts that would be considered creative, but not everybody decides to share them and speak them out. So I think it's that next level of, of sharing. Definitely. And I think it's, it's really, I mean, there's a lot of fear involved and I know you talk extensively about that and I want to get to it. But one thing you talk about in one of your Ted talks, I watched, I think all three of them. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) So worth it. I highly recommend everyone goes to check it out, but you talk about being born 10 pounds and you had jaundice. 10 pounds and one ounce. One ounce, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't forget I, the ounce. I disrespected the ounce and that was wrong. My mother would, would come back out there and be like, listen, that extra ounce, do you know what that does to a body? Yeah, got to push it out. I was eight pounds, one ounce. So, oh. you know, I feel like I'm part of the one ounce club with you. But- I think it's really interesting because I've heard people say, I don't know if you know Dr. Brian Weiss, mm-hmm. and he yeah. talks about how every single thing that's ever happened to us, somewhere in our consciousness, we remember that. Yeah. So how do you think coming into the world with that kind of adversity, I'm going to say, affected you? I think, honestly, I've always felt larger than other people. I mean, when we're going into body image and things like that, and and it it doesn't surprise me that it started literally from birth. We right. joke around like, oh, I've been carrying this since birth. But no, literally from birth, I think I've always been bigger than people. And it was funny, even today, I did Access Hollywood, and I'm sitting with Kit and Natalie Morales and Jen- Jenna Kramer. Right. And I was like, oh my God, these are like the land of the tiny people. <laughs> And I'm an Amazon comparatively. And it's not even just weight. It's just, you know, my overall stature. But I also don't even look at it as adversity anymore. I think it's kind of like it fits me. Like I, I'm a lot. 
<laughs> so if yeah. you're gonna, you can't hold that all in a tiny little package. So it's just allowing my soul to breathe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was going to say, your body is um, expanding so that your soul can fit in it. Yeah. I yeah. I don't think you can fit this in, you know, 110 pounds. No, it's true. So here we are. And I think it's cool. I always think about Macy Gray because, you know, she was bullied for her voice growing up. And she took that and then made it her gift. Yeah. So how do you think you've taken that, you don't call it adversity anymore, but like taken that adversity, early childhood adversity, and turned it into your gift? I absolutely think that all of my experiences that I went through are the reason why I stay humble. Mm -hmm. And I think that bringing humility, especially given what I've chosen as a profession, which is in the entertainment industry, right. as well as, as a speaker and, and just a presenter in general, it allows me to bring a humility to people that I don't think everybody has, especially in this industry. And I think it is a gift to kind of take people to a, a more authentic, connected level, but also knowing that, you know, whatever you've gone through doesn't have to define you moving forward. Mm -hmm. So overcoming those things. And that's something I talk a lot about is, you know, yes, you have dealt with adversity, but overcoming that becomes your power and mm -hmm. it becomes what you can teach other people to do. I think we're here to help people overcome the same things that we've done. Yeah. And what are some tools for people that are still in the thick of things, still feeling owned by their insecurities? How can they overcome those? What are some tools? I mean, I became a hypnotherapist. So you, yes. you mentioned Brian Weiss and I was like, oh yeah, like that is magic. I do magic. And wow. it is honestly the most intense experience, but it creates such shifts in people. So I am a huge proponent of using things like hypnosis, meditation, mm -hmm. which essentially is hypnosis, um, and using that to kind of get to our subconscious. Because here's the deal. Consciously, you're like, I need to stop being insecure. Right. I need to get over. I need to stop being crazy in my relationship. I need to realize that, you know, I am worthy. I know this. We all know it. You know that consciously, but it's all in your subconscious that you're storing everything. And that's why you have to deal with it. And you have to dig a little deeper. How does going back to that moment help kind of not cure, but in a way cure the feelings that you're feeling today about those things? Well, it's interesting because I have found in my experience in hypnosis sessions that especially when you regress to a past memory and that memory is attached to something, say you go into hypnosis and say, I, I want to know why I'm insecure. And you end up going to a memory that might not be what you thought it was. And I think what happens is you shine a light on something and you're able to see it. And I think when you see it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're dealing with a bully, like when you confront a bully, mm -hmm. when you're like, okay, I see you, I see what this is, but you no longer have power over me. That's essentially what you're doing in a hypnosis session is saying, I see this, I see what happened. This no longer has power over me. There's there's something that happens that shifts in your brain when that happens. I I did when I did hypnosis. I did it at HMI, which if anyone's in Southern California, I highly recommend because if you take one of their classes, they'll give you free hypnosis sessions, which is like awesome, amazing. And I noticed it did open me up for more creativity too. Oh my gosh! Because first of all, you have these wacky ass dreams where you start. I don't know. I felt like I was seeing my future in them. You know? Yeah. Did hypnosis, you have you ever had that happen? Uh, that's like every day. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, it was interesting. So I think 
pre 10 years ago, I was very closed off. Right. I, it was always very. And when you say closed off, do you mean to like to being intuitive stuff? Yeah. Okay. All like into the, although, I mean, I still saw a Reiki healer and I would still get my cards read and stuff like that, but it was definitely more entertainment in my mind. Okay. Until things started to shift and I started to have these experiences where I was like, oh my God, there's like a whole new world out there. And when I became trained in hypnosis, it was like crazy up leveling. And like, I feel like I was just cracked open and definitely more creativity, definitely just kind of like, I, I say channel, but I don't mean it in like the traditional term. I right. Mean, like, you're not like having a seance. Yeah. Like I'm not like, you know, spouting out Egyptian, you know, words out of nowhere. I'm, but I am getting kind of information and downloads and like mm-hmm. ideas that just Intelligence. Come out of, yeah. And mm-hmm. just comes out of nowhere. So that's so cool. Yeah. It's super what fun. What drew you to hypnosis? Because at that point, were you a lawyer? Like, I, I want to hear the whole path. But <laughs> yeah. I was trying to put it's it together. It's a bizarre path. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It, it's kind of linear. Not really. I was a lawyer. And then I came up with an idea. Okay. So maybe I wasn't as closed off as I could be. And I came up with this idea for a dating company with my now ex-husband. And we started this company. And the idea was to run the company and still be a lawyer. And then the press kind of took off for the company more than anything. And Oprah called and yeah, like we last season of Oprah was when we launched and they actually, I still have the the caller ID on my phone because they wanted us to come on and talk about it and it never happened. But so all this happened and got me on television talking about dating and then people started saying, well, you know, you're able to talk and chew gum. So why don't you come back on? And give us your opinions. And they're like, do you have opinions? I was like, have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) Opinions about everything. So I started doing segments on dating and relationships and just speaking from my personal experience. And that kind of transitioned into people were calling and saying, like, do you coach? And I had no idea what that even meant because I was a lawyer and I was running a dating company. I have opinions, but I'm not able to help you in that way. So then I was like, I didn't realize that coaching was a thing. Went back and became a coach. And that just kind of, it's all transitioned into where I am now with relationships throughout the last 10 years. But hypnosis came in the middle where I was already coaching. I was a love coach. I was mm-hmm. focusing on dating, which is very strategic. It's very kind of do this, don't do that, you know, and telling people what to do, which never felt right to me. Because mm-hmm. it's like, there's no one way to do anything. So I ended up, I was a coach and my friend was hosting a yoga retreat in okay. Aruba. I ended up on this retreat and there was a hypnosis, um, hypnosis person. I know. I never <laughs> really know what to talk about. It's hypnotherapist, right? Hypnotherapist. Yeah. But I was, I did a cord cutting. I, she said she does this cord cutting thing where you can cut ties and I had just broken up with someone and I was like, uh, yes, I'm up for that. So I ended up doing it and it was this magical experience and it just really showed me there was so much more that I could be doing. And that's kind of where the hypnosis came into play. And I literally left the retreat and signed up for training the next day. And Ooh, here I am. There's a lot of cool things I want to break down from that. So one thing is people kept asking you, are you a coach? Are you a coach? And you listened to them and went ahead and became <laughs> like, a coach. Sounds like a good idea. Let's yeah. Do it. <laughs> so how important do you think it is? Because a lot of times we'll have people talk about something that is in us that we don't currently see in ourselves. How important is it to kind of connect those dots and follow those lines? I think it's really important to listen mm-hmm. and listen to the flow of what the universe could have in store for you. 
And I think a lot of us have a very clear vision, which, um, listen, make your vision boards all day long, but understand that what you end up with may be far better and just not what you expected. And for me, I think people are always like, why are you never stress out about stuff? Like, you know, you just kind of, you're, don't get worked up about things. And I think what I've learned to do is kind of just go with the flow. And part of that is trusting things. Like if I'm being called to do something, whether it's by my dreams or it's by people who see me on television, I'm going to follow that if it feels right. You know, if people were asking me to be a coach and I was like, absolutely not. I want to be a dentist. (laughs) I'm not going to go be a coach just because they're asking me to be a coach. But if they're calling it out and I say, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't even realize that was a thing. Let's look into it. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. It has to feel authentic to you at the same time. Another thing, you talked about cutting a cord. Mm. Just for people who are really literal, you mean a metaphorical cord, right? We just cut them. (laughs) Stab them. (laughs) That was my scissor sound. Did you like it? (laughs) All of a sudden, they're like, "Uh, that Rachel D'Alto wants people to be homicidal. Uh, Yeah, so we all have, and this is, you know, more of my woo side, is we all have cords of attachment that Mm -hmm. attach us to people, and you can feel them. You know when someone has a pull on you, whether it's someone in your life now. I've cut a lot of cords with people's mothers Mm. when in sessions. Or it's someone from your past that you still feel like has some sort of hold over you. And that cord is a metaphysical connection to that person. And in hypnosis, we cut that cord energetically so that there's no longer a tie to that person. doesn't mean you necessarily cut them out of your life. It's just they don't affect you negatively. What would the process of that look like for people? Because I do think, I feel a lot of the time we give energy that could be allocated toward our creative projects to something that's negative because it's weirdly satisfying to spin down that dark vortex. Yeah. But it's also exhausting and it takes away from so many opportunities. And that's what it does. So we have a, you have a, you are a limited resource. Right. Right. So you can mine yourself only so much before you are empty. Mine yourself. Mine it. Ooh. So we have to make sure that what we are mining for is worthwhile. I have a friend who literally spins like a top when anything bad happens. And it's always attached to certain people. And it's always the same things. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is you are feeding into it because you are still allowing yourself to be attached to it. So there needs to be a a conscious cutoff, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if the same person is pissing you off consistently or bringing you down or having a negative impact on you, you consciously need to stop, but then you also need to think about how are they phys- physically, not physically, energetically affecting me and how can I disconnect that as well? And that's where the cord cutting came in. So even if you have to, because you did say, if you if you have to be around that same person, like let's say it's a boss or you know it's a family member that you have to see, you can find a way to do it and still be in their presence and just be detached. Yeah, exactly. It's, okay. it's practicing complete detachment from the energetic pull that they have on you and the negative influence that they have on you. Wow. So this this ties me to something else that you talked in one of your TED Talks. <laughs> I love that I can say one of your <laughs> TED Talks. That's so amazing. But you talked about your eating disorder and, yeah. and your body image. And I also struggled with bulimia when I was younger in eighth grade. And I think a lot of times those things are 
negative attachments as well, because it's like it takes away all the energy that you could be putting towards something that's fruitful. You're obsessed with this body image and therefore you have nothing left to give. And it's a distraction. So what would be your advice specifically for people, women, men dealing with body dysmorphia in any way? I think you have to find the root mm-hmm. and you have to figure out where it comes from and figure out how you can heal it. And obviously it's different for, for a lot of people. And for me, it was very much physical. It wasn't – I was bigger than other people. And I did not see that as something that was positive in any way. And I took that to heart. And for me, it was healing kind of that image of who I am. You have to figure out your why, why it's coming up and not just treat the disorder and understand that, you know, if you do, if you're able to heal that, if you're able to focus on it and find your why and heal it, you do open up so much more of your life. I remember when I was in the thick of it, I literally, from the moment I woke up, was thinking about food. From the moment, like my eyes opened and all of a sudden I'm thinking about food. I was like, holy crap, that is a lot of energy for something that really should be how am I fueling my body today? Yeah. And I I think too, it's like if you can find a way to get through it and to get to the source and to heal that little girl, because it's always about the little girl or the little boy, right? Yeah. You can not only help yourself and create more for your life, but you can create opportunities for other people to open up, which is what you've done. And something that's so beautiful about you that I said when we sat down is how vulnerable you are. And I really appreciate that because you create a platform for other people to be their authentic selves. If somebody is feeling shut down and trapped within themselves and unable to speak their truth because they're afraid to be vulnerable, what are some ways to open up? I think they have to baby step it. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 it's funny because you, you did see my three TED talks and there's a progression that yeah. happened. Oh, and the one in 2018 was very different than I don't, was the other one 2014? It was the first one. 2012, I 2012. Think. Wow. Yeah. So they're going way back. And I don't think I was remotely as vulnerable then as I am now. And so there's been a progression. There's been an evolution of the way that I feel like I can present myself. And part of that's due to my strength that has grown over time as well. And I think people really do need to be patient with themselves and understand that it's okay if it feels really scary, but take that little step. Because what I've seen is is really in retrospect is as you take each step, you're kind of comforted along the way and your people show up and the response shows up and whatever it, it takes to get you to that next step happens. But you have to be willing to say, I'm not jumping into this. That's great advice. Another thing you talked about, and I think it was a 2018 one, was having your son. Yeah. And then you, do you have two kids, a, do- a son two. and a daughter? Yeah. Okay. So I was really blown away by the fact that you had a son at 20. You are a badass mama. It couldn't have been easy. And I think a lot of times, I mean, I I just turned 30, so I've been thinking about kids a lot and I really want that in my life. But I've always said, no, no, I can't do it until I have my career. I can't do it until I have my career. 
but it's so inspiring to me that you've had your greatest success after you've had your kids. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on before. Right. (laughs) I mean, I was still in school. Yeah. So I feel like that idea that we have that we have to put our personal lives on hold in order to have this professional life is misguided. And in fact, it seems sometimes having that personal life, having that rich connection to a child or to a, a partner can be the thing that drives you. So what way has your child and your children now driven you to be who you are now? I mean, they drive me insane, but... <laughs> that I, can be very inspiring. <laughs> they are. They, they are inspiring. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. So people always say, and, you know, talking about the fact that I had my son when I was 20 and I was still in college, and there's always a desire to make it sound harder than it is. Granted, mm-hmm. it's not easy raising a human. I had amazing support. My parents were always very supportive, financially supportive. You know, I paid for most everything, but you know, I always had a fail safe. Right. And I never thought it was hard. I never, I've never in my life said, wow, that was really hard at all. And I think part of it is we need to stop victimizing ourselves and we need to realize that we are way stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And the moment that you understand that and embrace it is when you stop playing the victim and you start making decisions and you get things done. And that's the only way that I've ever looked at it. And I think my kids have very much given me a direction. And I, I definitely think before I act because of them, <laughs> mostly like when I got an audition for like Playboy or something. I'm like, eh, I don't think I could be a host on Playboy. I think that's, that's probably something my Aww. son wouldn't appreciate. Yeah. Not, not anything about, I, not knocking Playboy. Hey, we love you. <laughs> I love Playboy. Uh, but it was like things like that where it was like, okay, the very specific direction of what example I want to set, what I want to do. But I always had my own ambition. Like nothing was going to stop me no matter what happened. And I think that's part of that mentality of like, I'm going to get this shit done. Like I am, you know, he's coming along for the ride now, but I'm going to law school. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I am still fulfilling my dreams. And I think we think that having children or having a family or even a partner is somehow limiting our freedom to be the success that we want to be. And the fact of the matter is you decide that. If you want to give it up and you want to say that they held you back, that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> Damn right. Damn tootin'. <laughs> she's here and she's talking up, folks. <laughs> I got things to say, apparently. I liked the, the other thing you talked about, though, is you said, you know, I have my son and he was like this beautiful little being, but I still didn't love myself. And yeah. I think that's such a... It was such a poignant moment for me because I think that's also something that holds us back from like going down that path of our lives is we're afraid we're going to F our kids up. Yeah, and I never considered that. Good for I you. I probably should. No, no. <laughs> I mean, probably I'm going to be in therapy they're in gonna, a couple years. Well, if they're not in therapy, I mean, I think everyone needs to be in therapy. Just being a human on this earth is enough to put us in therapy. Come on. Truth. So, but how do you as a parent make sure that you're not passing your junk on to your kids? I think that's awareness mm-hmm. and self-awareness is one of the most underappreciated elements of human personality ever. And I don't think I always had it. I think that for, you know, probably the first 
five to 10 years of his life, my son's 18 now, I probably didn't have it at all. And then as I had it, you become very self-aware of this is my stuff. I am going to listen. I'm going to be irrational at times and I'm probably going to yell at you for no reason, but I'm going to eventually realize like this is, this is mine and I don't need to give him that. And I think honestly, it, it all goes back to like, we have to, I've said it in other talks, like you have to shine a light on it. You have to shine a light on like where you're coming from. Where is your pain? Where is your hurt? Where is the the background that could be projected onto your kids? And then that light says, okay, I see that. So I'm not going to give it to them. Because when we ignore it, which many people do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bunch of ostriches with their head in the sand. Especially like our, our parents' generation. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like they don't look at things. Right. And that's kind of, I think, why there's a boom in therapy right now is because no one's looked at things. And now we see that we can look at things and heal them. But it's kind of it's a little too late for us. Well, right. But we're trying to pay it forward for future yeah. generations. <laughs> it's like, I'm not taking this ancestral shit with me, you know, yeah, like no. I'm going to, I'm cutting the cord of this family pattern now. Yep. You know, we've just accepted this for years, but we don't have to accept it. We can be the hero in our own story. Amen. So yeah, I think that's really poignant. And I think too, calling it out with your kids, like saying, Hey, listen, I struggle with this, makes them aware of it, yeah. makes them compassionate toward you and makes them like, you know, kind of find a way to not water that seed in themselves yeah so 100 and they great. will model you mm-hmm. my kids model me all the time and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad but hey <laughs> they definitely it's all happening they definitely model after you so you set that example and i'm not i'm not sitting here at all on some sort of you know soapbox saying that like i was the best mom or am the best mom i just you know i these experiences that i've had there's certain ones that I've learned my lessons through that if people could avoid them, that would be great. Yeah. Well, it's again, it comes back to being vulnerable and being honest and opening up the dialogue. Yeah. And another thing you talk about in another one of your TED Talks is fear, yeah. which I think is uh, the root of all evil and definitely the root of, uh, I think, the enemy of creativity. Yeah. So could you give some tips for how to overcome fear and in specifically the fear of failure? Because that's really... I mean, I almost didn't put out this podcast because of that. So I'm definitely struggling with that as well. And I'd love your advice. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, that you have to do when you're, you're dealing with a fear is force yourself through it, which clearly you're doing, is realizing that the feeling that you'll get from regret of not doing something is far worse than failing at something. And I don't believe in failure. And I think that's part of it too, is is really kind of changing your perspective around what is failure? To me, failure is not something bad. Failure is a learning experience. Every failure that I've ever had has led me to really learn a lot. Sometimes it's a very painful lesson. Yeah. And, but it's, it's honestly, it's the most invaluable experience that you could get. So what's the worst case that could happen? You fail quote unquote, whatever, whatever connotation you want to give to that. But that is, that is education. Yeah. It's reshaping it, I think. And also is like, I think something else you said in one of those talks was like, just do it. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to announce that I'm putting out a podcast because then I have to do it. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Accountability is everything. I had the cutest thing happen. So I'm doing this. I do. It's kind of like CrossFit, but it's not CrossFit. And I'm obsessed. It's like my jam. What's it called? 
It's, I mean, it's just group training, okay. lifting. So, you know, I, I like to lift heavy weights and I love this modality of exercise for me. And I'm doing a fat loss challenge at my gym. I'm failing miserably. I've lost five pounds and I've gained a half a percent. So do not follow whatever the hell I'm doing. <laughs> However, accountability is so key for me. And I posted on Instagram a picture of me pre-challenge and put, I put it out there specifically because if I tell people I'm doing it and if I say, and I, I was so even in my head, I was like, oh, and are people going to think I'm fat because I'm doing a fat loss challenge? Like that's still, right. there's still the seeds are always there. They're little, little jerks. Yep. Little I was going to say a really bad word and then I, I didn't. let it out. <laughs> but so I posted it for accountability and my son who had posted something once and he was like, mom, really? Are you <laughs> posting that? And instead, he liked it. And I said, I texted him. I was like, Alex, I'm like, you liked that? And he's like, well, people need to be held accountable. I think that was a really great message. So oh, I was, I really liked baby it. Baby Buddha. And I was like, oh my God, he's listening. <laughs> my son listens. <laughs> but yes, accountability. If you are afraid of something, shout it out. Yeah. Or just say it. <laughs> or you shout it, say it, whatever makes you feel more accountable. Yes. Go for the gold. Yeah. Because then it'll force you or at least shame you into to I know. It. I know. That's the one thing. I'm like, well, do I really want to be inspired by a low level emotion? But I'm like, you know what? At this point, I'm Catholic. I got to do whatever you know, it takes. Low level <laughs> emotions. I don't like, I don't like low. I think that every emotion serves a purpose and like anger, people, people, have issues with anger. I don't think you should ever hold well, on to it. I think it. anger is good, but like what it, what purpose does shame serve? Yeah. I don't view shame as an emotion, I guess. What is it? I don't know. Well, it's something that I feel like we all grapple with, you know? Yeah. It's, it's I think shame is like the shadow. It's like whatever makes you feel like you don't deserve to exist. Yeah. That you know? and guilt, can, guilt can both be killed. Yeah. 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 We, can, we can vanquish those, but we can be angry. <laughs> I like anger. Let's yeah. shout it. Yeah. Okay, TED Talks. I want to talk about that. Like, how yeah. do you, first of all, how did you go about procuring one? Obviously, you're an incredible speaker. Did someone reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did that happen? So my first one, I did a TEDx youth TED Talk, and someone reached out to me. It was actually a friend of a friend that was involved in it, and they were like, oh, you should talk to Rachel. And that's how that one came about. My second one was at my alma mater, so I saw that they were doing one. Shout I had, out to Syracuse. Go orange. <laughs> um, so I really, I had something that I wanted to talk about. I saw that they were doing it and I applied. And then the last one, so I hadn't done one in probably like three or four years. And I just like, I kept feeling it, the whole authenticity and vulnerability. And I just felt like there was something that had to be said. And I wanted to say it in a place that felt like it had some... Sub, not substance, but just like a, a heaviness to mm -hmm. it, which I think TED it, does. Wait, get. definitely. Yeah, like yeah. when you hear someone's done a TED talk, Gravitas. you're like, you must be God. And it's not. <laughs> it's honestly like a lot of people do TED talks. I mean, I'm I pretty, mean, I still feel that way. Every time I, I see uh, one, I'm, I feel like, wow, that person made it. They're legit AF. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think like that at all. I just like I think it's it. become normal to you now. But like, it, I want you to know that it's a very big deal. That's awesome. Yeah. And go it, me. Go you. <laughs> yes, go you. And I highly recommend everyone goes and, and binges them like I did this morning. I, you know what's funny? When I was preparing for my last one, I, wa I had never really watched a lot of them. And I started watching some. And 
there's some really good ones out there. Oh, yeah. Like, there's some really good talk. So, yeah, I just had it on my heart. And my thing is, if I keep waking up with it, I write my speeches in my in my sleep. That's um, cool. Like, I'll wake up and I'll have to write stuff down because I'll know that I'll have something coming up. And, like, it literally just it, – I, it flows at some point in the night. And that speech kept coming to me and I couldn't ignore it. And I was like, it's time to let it go. And part of it is – I I was able to be more vulnerable than I've ever been because my ex-husband passed away. Mm. And not that I wouldn't have talked about it when he was alive, but I wouldn't have talked about certain things. And I I felt like there was always a, a fear of repercussion. So I was given a gift of being able to express myself. I mean, rest in peace and of course not to, to bring it down 17 notches. But I definitely think that it allowed me the ability to really own my story, which I wish people could own their stories without having that be the reason why. Yeah, I totally get it, though, because it really does limit how vulnerable you can be. Yeah, when there's legalities involved and mm-hmm. and fear. And that's a fear that, you know, I always say, obviously, like, let's push through it and stuff. But when it comes to my kids, there's a healthy fear. Oh, yeah. And there is nothing that I wouldn't do to protect them and make sure that that is a sacred place and space. And it wasn't. I wasn't able to expose as much of myself. And I don't think I was disrespectful. I think I was just honest. And this no, is my story. I didn't come off of the speech thinking, oh, gosh, he must have been such a terrible villain. Like, no. I thought you're telling your truth. Yeah. And he wasn't. Yeah. He, just had he was in pain and he didn't he know how pained. to express it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that all that happened, but I'm really grateful that you were able to share your story. We'll get back to Rachel in just a second, but first I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Potion Naturals. Growing up, I loved collecting perfume. It was one of my favorite ways to express my creativity. I love the beautiful bottles, the different smells, and the ability to choose what aspect of my personality I wanted to bring out based on scent. But then I found out most conventional perfume is highly toxic, and like that, What was once a huge passion came to an abrupt and devastating halt. That's a little extreme, but it was really sad. (laughs) That is, until I discovered Potion Naturals. Potion is the first and only store for discovering luxurious, 100% natural fragrances. Like I said, most fragrances are made using toxic synthetic ingredients and often have immediate and long-term health effects ranging from headaches to endocrine disruption. Not only are Potion perfumes toxin-free, they're also curated from artisan perfumeries around the world. So you don't have to choose between a safe scent and an expertly crafted one. You can have it all. And you know what I think is best about Potion? You can try before you buy. It's like dating for perfume. So they have a sample program where you can try five fragrances for $25. And when you get the sample pack, you also get a $25 credit toward any full-size perfume, which is a pretty fantastic deal. I got the sweet sampler because I like to smell like candy, and my favorite scent is Pro Vanilla, which I describe as a sophisticated take on your typical vanilla perfume. It's like vanilla all grown up. And here's a special deal just for your creative soul. For a limited time, go to PotionNaturals.com and use code UNLEASH at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack 
plus you get free shipping. Again, go to potionnaturals.com and use code UNLEASH, U-N-L-E-A-S-H at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack with free shipping. Now let's get back to Rachel D'Elto. If somebody else is out there and wants to share their story through public speaking, obviously you have an incredible amount of experience with it. You're very skilled. How would you advise they start? Wherever they can. I, whether you're talking at the library or you're... To anyone. Literally talk to people. <laughs> just talk. Just keep talking. And mm-hmm. honestly, YouTube has created a platform where you don't even have to find an audience. You could video yourself speaking and put it out there and get people's feedback. Mm-hmm. So it's easier than ever to really start speaking and just allow, you know, allow yourself to learn through that. And you said one other thing about that, which I thought was interesting. You said you write your speeches in your sleep, which I definitely, I feel because I'm also a songwriter outside of this. And I started writing songs in that little area between being awake and being asleep. It's very powerful. Is that where you're most creative? I definitely think that 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 space between sleep and awake, which is basically like my favorite because it's essentially a hypnotic state. uh, You're your truest self. I think mm-hmm. you're you're connected to your highest self and I just it it flows through faster there. Like I could sit and try to write something consciously and it'll take me hours where again some of those speeches I'm like, wow, that's a really that. that's a really good line. <laughs> Damn girl, you got it. Um, what do you do when you're in like okay, let's say you can't get into that place late night, that late night flow state. And you have a speech due and you're blocked. How do you push through that creative block? Oh, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So you just put it on pause or what do you do? I'll give myself a break. I I don't force anything. That's great. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird kind of saying that out loud because I I don't. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not doing it. And I think I I have enough of a, a... base in my head for most of my speeches. So it's, you know, that that's existing already. So it's not like I have to recreate the wheel every single time, but I don't ever force that creative process. And mm-hmm. I also give myself enough time to prepare for whatever I'm coming up to. So I think you have to kind of figure in like, there's going to be days where I don't feel like doing anything mm-hmm. or I can't do anything. Yeah. You have to know yourself. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, that's an being interesting a question because I'm like, I don't even know. Like, Well, that's good. That means that you haven't put yourself in precarious I situations. Like, I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know that it's like, I feel that. like I always put myself in precarious situations and then I have to push through. But maybe like that's where I do my best work is when I'm in the heat of the moment. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, really thrive on procrastination. I know. And that can be inspiring. Yeah, it can be, but it's also just not the best way to live. Yeah. I get too stressed out. Mm -hmm. I I like to start probably like a month out before something like a speech or, or a project where I can really kind of ease into it and allow my natural flow to result in something better than I think if I was forcing it. Right. Because you, you could always consciously do something. Yeah. But, but like, sometimes it's Where's the magic? Yeah, like, <laughs> we want the magic. <laughs> <laughs> so you recommend people date for a while before they get married. Why is that? And then, so you're also a relationship expert on Married at First Sight. So how does that factor into that? Yeah. Uh, so that's a different... <laughs> A different premise. And 
It's interesting. I I think the preferred method right. would be for people to date and get to know each other. And that definitely, I think it creates a bigger challenge, which is why it's interesting television. Yes. So I, you know, I loved my time on the show and I think it was very authentic and real. And, and my work with everybody was as real as any other work that I would do with a couple. But yeah, I think it's a good idea to date <laughs> your spouse before you marry them. Definitely, if possible. If not, go on the show. <laughs> if not, go on Married at First Sight. Um, I think the other thing that's so cool about that show, I know Jamie Otis really well, and like obviously she has a baby. There's a few couples now that have a baby. How does it feel when you see a situation like that, like that you were a part of that relationship that's now flourishing and creating its own life? Yeah, I love that. So Ashley and Anthony having a baby basically like made my life. Oh. <laughs> because... You do. You wonder, like, is this is this okay? Right. Am I doing the right thing? Am I involved in something that feels real? And then when you see real come from it, it definitely validates it. So right. I love seeing that. All the babies. Bring on the babies. Bring on the baby. B-O-B. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't give them to me. Yeah. That's right. Raise them yourself. Are you still in contact with them? Uh, yeah, I still chit chat with uh, Ashley and Anthony, and actually, I'm seeing Jamie tomorrow night. Aww, <laughs> that's beautiful. All, all good people that I've met from that show, and I think something cool too that really would be helpful for listeners because a lot of people are in great jobs. They're in jobs that they really love, but there comes a breaking point where you realize you kind of need to shift and do something else for yourself. And you were wildly popular on that show. People are still asking for you to come back all the time. How did you reach the point where you knew it was time for you to move on and take care of other things in your life? Again, I think it's all about the flow and trusting what is coming your way and knowing what feels good. So for me, you know, I've never been a logical decision maker. I think I, I use logic and I was a lawyer. So obviously yeah. I like I had to have some logic in there, but it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was better alignments in other places and not necessarily, you know, other projects and some things that will be coming out in a couple months might not be, you know, the most aligned physician either, but I feel like it's, it's all stepping towards where I'm meant to be. Yeah. Like you said earlier, baby steps, you yeah. know, you can't, I'm not in a rush. I mean, I'm eventually going to crap out and, and be <laughs> really old and not be on television, but or maybe Dr. Not. Ruth is still kicking yeah. it. So. I mean, look at Joan Rivers was on it pretty much until the day she died. You're yeah. authentic and you tell the truth and you are seeking to do good. So I don't see any reason why you can't do it until you're 103. Do 103. That's yeah. a long life. Hey, I don't know. It was the first <laughs> thing that came that to You to told me to long. trust my instincts. It was the first number that came to my head. So I think you're going to be limber. You're going to be a big soul at that point. You're going to be just sharing your truth with the audience. Perfect. So love it. You'll love <laughs> You'll it. You'll be like, I'll roll out. You'll be with your caffeine. <laughs> Everybody, I've got something to say. Okay. So with creativity, I always think it it's like the inner child, right? Like yeah. to me, it's like getting back to that little girl and, and what she wanted at her purest state. What did you want to be growing up? I wanted to be an actress. <gasps> uh, do you still want to do that at all? You know what's interesting? So about when I started doing TV about eight years ago, nine years ago now, uh, I ended up taking an acting class about two years into it. Okay. Was and that out here in LA? In New York. Okay. So I signed up for an acting class because I thought it sounded fun. And I got through about three sessions of it before I was like, 
I don't want to be someone else. Mm. I just want to be me. And it was such a moment where I was like, holy crap. Like, I just, I had no desire. So no, I have no desire to be an actress or to play anybody else, but I love being me. That's awesome. How did your parents, when you were younger, encourage or discourage your creativity? My mom has always been very creative, so she's always been open. And and even now, it's like everything. We still bounce ideas off each other. She named one of my projects, you know, so she's always been very supportive. My dad's a CPA, though, so he's very analytical. Oh, my gosh. Well, my whole thing is that CPAs can be creative because of the way they interpret taxes. Yeah. Like, if somebody does it in God a God bless really, my father. Yeah. And I'm sure he does really <laughs> creative yet legal interpretations yes. of how we can get people their money back and yeah yeah so it, it yeah, can my dad's be brilliant in that yeah. way and yeah. he's definitely I, and yes he is creative in that way I think of I guess creativity more in like the arts yes and like the ooh, entertainment yes. and things like that but yeah you're right yeah he definitely I just don't think he he probably didn't view my desire in terms of my trajectory as as stable right because you know, he's that very traditional mindset of a CPA, which is secure and right. foundation. And, you know, the only thing you can rely on in life is death and taxes. So, I mean, hey, yes, but there's <laughs> lots of other fun things, too. I know it's my dad's a financial planner, so I feel you on that one. And I, I asked him once, I'm like, Dad, why don't you ever get excited when I tell you something that's going on? Like, why are you just like so steady and stoic? And he's like, because I'm afraid. Because yeah. I don't know how to help you. And I think a lot of times it's like, I don't know what your dad is like if he's like that too, but they just don't know how to navigate the world we're in. So they're afraid to be too excited. Yeah. I mean, I think for the first, I haven't had a real job in 10 years. I haven't been a lawyer. I love that you say I haven't had a I real know, job. I know, because I don't feel like I have a real job. <laughs> like, this isn't real to me. I still feel like I'm just like playing. Yeah. And well, you're very good at playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is fun. And I do things I love and I don't feel like I work ever. Someone asked me, they're like, do you have, do you have childcare backup for when the kids are off school on Monday? And I was like, for what? <laughs> like, I don't have a real job. I'll just stay home. Yeah. But where was I going with that? Oh, we were I talking about how our dads are stoic <laughs> and like, like they, oh, oh, I haven't had a real job oh, in yeah. 10 years. But when I started, so I, I, I haven't had like a, you know, a W2 nine to five. And when I started, my dad was always like all the time he'd say, well, you can always go back to law. You can always go back to law. And I was like, stop giving me a fail safe. I don't want one. This is what I want to do. Like, I am is, my safety net. It, yeah, exactly. I love that. Like, you know, the the very prophetic of burning the boats in the harbor. Like, mm -hmm. F that. Like, I'm done. That's the past. Like, I'm moving forward. So, but he's always kind of had that, you know, you, you can be a lawyer. Well, you know, you can and you are and yeah. you've done and now no. you're doing you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Wait, that is, I was going to go to my last question, but real quick, I do want to talk to you about the safety net because so many people do have them. How yeah. important do you think it is to just full steam ahead? I mean, listen, I don't want to tell people to like quit their jobs and, and go join the circus, but I think you can find kind of a happy medium. I think it's also really important to prove your concept mm -hmm. before you release your safety net. But once you've proven your concept, the more that you hold on to your safety net, 
the more you're going to hold on on your to your growth and you're going to stagnate it. So I think at some point, once you've proven that this is something that you can do and you can go after, it's time to burn the boats. Right. Before you prove it, I would hold on to like one. Yeah. Like keep a boat. Keep a canoe. Yeah. Keep, <laughs> keep a canoe in the maybe, harbor. <laughs> maybe a paddleboard. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were talking about some projects that you have coming up. Yes. Is there anything you can reveal? Um, I can't talk about whether well, there's a show on TLC that's coming out in, okay. no, it's June. So at some point in my lifetime, that one will air. Um, right. It's a, a shorter run. And um, I really am loving, I want to get into more of the production side of things because I do love the business and I love creating and I don't want to be just talent. I mean, listen, I love getting my hair and makeup done. That is really fun to show up and people bring me coffee and maybe a scone now and then. <laughs> but I like to create and I like to get my hands dirty and I like to work. And um, so I've, I've definitely started to get on that side of things and working on a, a digital project that we just shot a sizzle on. So yeah. My final little set of questions here. I want to get back to little Rachel. Okay. Maybe 11-year-old Rachel. Yeah. And if she was standing in front of you today, seeing you in all your glory, your multi-hyphenate glory, doing all these beautiful creative things and living a truly authentic life, what do you think she would say to you and why? I don't even know if she'd say anything. I think she'd be a little speechless. I think she would smile really wide. She'd probably tear up a little bit. And then she'd get really excited. And then... If you were standing in front of her, what would you say to her and why? I would just tell her she's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, you beautiful, creative soul. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Thank you so much to the amazing Rachel Dialto. For more information on Rachel, her public speaking, and TV appearances, check her out at Rachel Dialto. That's at R-A-C-H-E-L-D-E-A-L-T-O on Twitter and Instagram and check out our website, racheldialto.com. Thank you so much to Kinetic Content for providing a space for us to conduct this interview. You can follow them at Kinetic Content. Thank you to my friend and publicist slash producing maven, Paria Sadigi, for bringing Rachel on and for your continued support. You can follow her on Instagram at Pariazzi. That's at P-A-R-I-A-Z-Z-I. Thank you to my co-producer, Juliette Faber. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. And thank you for another amazing week of creativity, love, belief, and support. I cannot tell you how much all the messages, comments, and reposts mean. Please keep sharing the show and also sharing your projects. I'm loving seeing some of these unbelievable projects the show has inspired. You're so talented. Honestly, I am blown away by you. As I said, I want to start featuring them more on here and on our socials, so please continue to share and tag away. You can keep in touch with me at Lauren LaGrasso and join our community by following at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook and at You Are Inner Creative on Twitter. You can also see me perform live next Monday, March 11th at Bar 20 on Sunset. And I have to say that show came directly as a result of doing this show because Eric, the amazing guy who books that place, is friends with Gala. He saw I posted and was like, hey, come do a show. And it also just shows how connected we all are, which is pretty amazing. So come out, give me a hug, 
We'll talk creativity and you'll hear some original soulful music from me. I would love to see you. That's March 11th at bar 20 at 8 15 PM. Also, if you like the show and want to help our community grow, remember to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes and share the show with a friend. You deserve to get your ideas out there. You are creative and talented, and I believe in you. Talk next week.